We're in week number four, final week of our series, Moving Beyond the Excuses That Hold Us Back, um, Paper Walls. We've used this picture talking about paper walls as an illustration uh, of things that we feel like are actual obstacles. Like, I can't do it. Like, I just, I want to get to the other side of this, but it's impossible. And so we present our excuses as though they're really reasons that hold us back, as though they're brick walls when they're really just paper walls. And we'll dive into that in a minute. <clears throat> but I know that you have a great capacity when you hear someone speaking to recognize whether or not what they're saying is an excuse or a valid reason. And you've exercised this before on your children, on your coworkers, on your spouse. You've done this before. And I'm going to give you an example because I'm going to provide you someone's, quote, reason. And I think you're going to see through it pretty quickly. Uh, one of the top aides to the governor of New York, he, he had this issue come up. And this is a small issue if you're a government employee. He hadn't filed tax returns for the last five years. <laughs> People are cheering for this. All right. Um, and his reason, his rationale, the, the because, I didn't do it because that he and his lawyer gave was this. As they were being questioned about it, they were saying, well, you know, why did he neglect to file his tax returns? And the lawyer corrected the person asking the question, saying, well, he didn't really neglect it. He suffers from a medical condition called late filing syndrome. Sounds pretty legit. It's got syndrome in there. And though he maintained a high level of performance in his professional life, and though he maintained a high level of activity in his social life, they said that this late filing syndrome was caused by depression, even though it didn't, uh, didn't affect these other areas of his life. It just affected his ability to file taxes, which I'm sure sounds very reasonable to you. But just so you know, in case you're thinking about using that, re that reason, the American Psychiatric Association and the IRS don't really see the validity in that specific syndrome. So it's not going to work out for you. We have the capacity to hear someone's excuse and just be like, no, that's unreasonable. That's ridiculous. That doesn't make sense. And we can put a finger on that immediately. But for some reason, I, I mean, I question, how did he even say that with a straight face? But the way that we laugh at his excuses, I want to promise you, there's been people around you in your life, as you presented your story and your argument and said, I am this way because, and I can't help it, and it's immovable, and I can't get around it, and I can't get through it. They've looked at you, and they've listened, and they've nodded their head, and they're like, no way, buddy. And just like you can see other people's excuses a mile away, they could see yours. And I believe that it's important to deal with the excuses that we've been hiding behind for many reasons. And as we've looked at in the series, one of the reasons is an excuse is really just a lie that you hide behind. It's a lie that you tell yourself until you believe it and you present it with all sincerity, but you've told yourself a lie until you believed it and you try to present it to other people and they look at you and they might nod their head and say yes, but they're thinking that is ridiculous. It's important that we don't lie to ourselves. It's also important because when we stay behind excuses, we miss out on tremendous opportunities to see God move, to see reconcilia reconciliation happen, to see personal growth occur. When we hide behind excuses, they limit our personal growth and they're things that God wants us to deal with. And so excuses, there's something that they restrain us from being who we are called to be. And so the world misses out on you and you miss out on much of the world. 
Because when we live behind excuses, we miss out on God, on parts of God's plan for our life. And we're going to get into that some, but before we get to our passage for the day, I'm going to bring back to memory a couple of excuses, lines of reasoning that you've probably given or you've definitely heard in your life. And so, uh, are you guys with me today? Are we here? Are we ready? All right, good. All right. We got some people making sure we're awake. You've heard this before. You can nod your head with me if you have. When you ask someone to help or you feel called to help with something and they say, well, I, I can't do it. I'm just not good enough to do that. We felt that. We've heard that before. Yeah, we know that. All right. Um, really what's behind that is I'm not good enough is a fear of failure, right? I mean, a lot of our excuses that we provide are really built on a foundation of I'm afraid to try. And one of the, the, the second one is past pain. Like, like we have the, I'm not good enough. We have the past pain. Like I would like to help with that. I would like to enter into that area of my life again. I would like to, to pursue that kind of a relationship again. But I got hurt so bad in the past that I just can't even move towards that. And there's fear of, well, that, that could happen again. Like it could be a cycle. Like I could just not be good enough or other people are just always this way. And because of my past pain, I'm afraid to pursue that because of past hangups. We've used that. We've said that. We, we've heard that. The, the third one, what I do doesn't matter. Like I would like to help, but if I did that, it wouldn't be significant to anyone else. It wouldn't make a difference. It wouldn't affect anyone else's life. And so we just discount it right at the beginning. And the, I think the fear that's under that one is that if I try and I get my hopes up, I'll fail again and then I'll be disappointed. And we've heard that and we've said that and we felt that. And I bring those three up before we get to our passage because I believe that our passage really addresses some of these fears. And this passage, I think it's been in my heart through this last season. It's come up in a couple different messages, but it's such a significant passage because the term that it uses to refer to God's church, to a, to a believer in Christ, the term that it uses for them is so powerful that we would probably hesitate to ever speak it about ourselves. But I want you to clearly know this is how God speaks about his church, his followers, you. All right. So I'm going to read this passage from Ephesians chapter two, verse 10. And it says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Now, this is significant and this is important because I believe our view of ourself, it really limits us from ever making a statement that like, like we are God's masterpiece. Like it's hard, I think, for so many people to even believe that statement, but I want to make sure you recognize these are the words and the authority of Scripture. And so to try to cement this a little bit, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the thing that I hate when pastors do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to make you repeat this with me. Are you ready? For we are God's masterpiece. All right, I had like half. For we are God's masterpiece. That's not too threatening because the we's in there, but I want to make sure you get the theological application of what this is teaching. It's not everybody else, it's you. And so we're going to say it one more time, but we're going to properly apply it and say, I am God's masterpiece. You ready? I am God's masterpiece. I know that there's people, it's like, it's a struggle to get those words out because there's a disconnect between what you believe about how God feels about you and what scripture says. And I want to clarify this because there, there's a large group of people who they grew up around a spiritual climate in a church that said the only time that you are close to God is when you feel terrible about yourself. 
when, when you understand how depraved you are and how, how bad you are and how much you fail. And unless you leave church feeling guilty like that, you must not be close to God right now. But I wanna make sure that that concept of your relationship with God rubs up against the actual teaching of the words of scripture. When he describes you, he describes a follower of Christ and he says, you are a masterpiece of mine. This is how God views you. And it's important for you to understand how God views you because what you think he thinks about you will affect how you relate with him. That might've been confusing. Let me say it this way. I advise grooms before I perform a wedding and I've given them the same advice for years. And I might've shared this before because it comes out of one of my friend's mistakes. On his wedding day, Everything was beautiful. It was that magical moment when the bride walks down the aisle, the congregation is standing, the music is playing. She is radiant in her white dress and he's standing there. And when their eyes meet, somehow, some way, the most unfortunate thing happened, a yawn slipped out. The women are like, yeah, he just died in that moment. <laughs> like, not like of natural causes, like murder later that night. Like, you, because in that moment, and any person pretty much knows that the bride is sitting there looking into the soul of her groom, wanting to know how he feels about the way that she looks and so the face that he makes when their eyes meet is important. So I always advise grooms, I'm like, look, before you see her, you need to have a frown on your face, all right? Trust me on this. You frown, you look uncomfortable, but when your eyes meet, you smile and you cry, and you jump with joy. Like you make sure that there's a change in your expression because she's looking to see what you think. And when you look up into the heavens and you think of your heavenly father and what he thinks about you, what scripture teaches is that if you are in Christ, he describes you as his masterpiece, his beloved, his adopted child into his kingdom, someone that no one could ever pluck you out of his hand. He says you are his. This is how he views you. So when an opportunity comes, when you feel a push from God about getting involved, serving, making a difference, going to a neighbor, sharing about your faith in God, when you feel that push and that voice rises up that says, you aren't good enough to do that. You aren't good enough. One voice is saying you're not good enough. And then the authority of the word of God is saying, you are my masterpiece. And too many times we've listened to the voice that says you are unworthy. You aren't good enough. You aren't loved enough. You're not fully forgiven. And we've listened to a lie when we should listen to the word of God that says you are God's masterpiece. Do you recognize that? It's not that you made yourself into a masterpiece. That's not what it is at all. He's saying, you are my masterpiece. I am at work in you. I am changing you. I am growing you. I am changing the way that you think. I am changing the way that you respond. I am changing the way that you act. I am at work in your life and you are mine. And so when the excuse wells up that, you know, I can't, I can't do that because I'm just not good enough. The word of God does not allow you to wiggle out of it with that. That's not gonna work. The passage says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. 
We are made anew in Christ Jesus. So anything that says, you know, well, you don't understand my past hangups. You don't understand what happened in my past. Like I can't enter into that realm of life again. I could never serve in the church because what happened? And I want to tell you, God has made you anew in Christ Jesus. At the moment that you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you confess with your mouth, you are made a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Your sins are removed as far as the east is from the west. You are a new creation in Christ. So why should you still be bound up by these old limitations and these old hangups? This is not God's desire for your life to live behind that paper wall, that excuse. This is, I can't do this because of what used to happen. I've used this illustration before because I, it is so powerful when I first saw it, but I'm going to use it again. And the average American attends church once every six weeks. So probably five, six of you weren't here anyway for that great message when I used this. So here you go again. But uh, there's this mom that, that she's a painter and she had a two-year-old, she was turning almost three that love to paint. And so she said, let's paint together. And so I want to show you the picture of the mom and daughter, just so you kind of see, isn't that cute? That's the cutest thing. Uh, And you can see the daughter's painting right there. And what she did is she had her daughter start a painting kind of like this one. Go to the next picture. Um, You start. That's not too much to work with, is it? I mean, that, like, did she do that blindfolded even for a two-year-old? Come on, two-year-old, put me some shapes at least. But mom's a painter. So look what mom did with this. Can you see the shapes in there? I mean, like how could she even see creating that out of that? I mean, that's that's incredible. Go go on to the next one. On this one, I feel like she just like was like just high-fiving the paint and high-fiving the paper. Like, uh, I don't know what technique. I, I have seen worse modern art in museums before, but that's still not too much to work with. But look what mom did when she got a hold of it. I think it's like, you can just see even where the thumbprint is. It's like that, like, that's amazing that she made that out of that. There's, there's one war where I feel like she just kind of got going with some dots and like got distracted by her iPad and left. Like this doesn't even look like a completed two-year-old project. But look what, what mom made out of it. See the faces? Now, if a mom, a painter, can take something as incomplete and as messed up of a canvas as that and create that, how much more Can God take the canvas of your life and the mistakes of your life and the things that seem like they could never work towards a masterpiece in your life? How much more is he able to work in your life and create something beautiful? He says you are his masterpiece. He says you are created anew in Christ. And when we apply limitations and say, You don't understand what's on my canvas. You don't understand what's been a part of my life. You don't understand my hangups and my addictions and my problems. I could never take a small step towards anything like that. I want to tell you, if that's your statement, you don't understand the power of God in your life. You don't understand the stories that he's changed. You don't understand the lives that he's changed. The the author of this, the, the person that God was speaking through in the book of Ephesians is the apostle Paul, who when he first comes on onto the scene on the pages of scripture, he is persecuting and helping get put to death and, and arresting Christians, followers of Christ. I mean, if anyone who just from their own story would not, not have the credentials to be a leader in a church, it would have been him. 
But God loves to work on those kind of canvases. When you look at the lives of the disciples of Jesus, they, they were fishermen and were rough men. I mean, Jesus changed Simon's name to Peter for a reason, because he changes lives. He changes callings. He changes opportunities. He changes the expectations. And so what has been your expectation of yourself? Has your expectation been, you know, I've just always been this way. Like I, I've, I've messed up too much. And so for me to get to the other side of this issue, for me to get to the other side of my calling and actually get started, I can't because there's a wall here. And every page of scripture, if you look at it, when it, when it has, has information of calling, of giftedness, of ability to break through what has been holding you back, it continues to teach us that each wall that we identify as a barrier, scripture says is just a paper wall. And for you to stay still in your faith, in your growth, in your development, in, in your following of Christ, for you to stay still and say, I can't go anywhere because of this, it's a lie. It's an excuse to hide behind. And I want to encourage you and I want to challenge you. God has greater things ahead for you than staying stuck where you have been for the last few months, the last few years, or the last few decades. We are God's masterpiece created anew in Christ Jesus. Check this out. So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. This passage is saying that for generations, God has looked at these moments that are ahead of you. And he says, here is a moment for him. Here's a moment for her to step forward in their faith. Here's a moment for them to serve someone else. These are opportunities that I have been looking forward to where they can choose to follow me. And, and keep it clear, the pages of scripture teach us, we can respond to a calling and opportunity like the prophet Jonah did in the Old Testament where he received specific instructions. He knew he needs to go to this city and he needs to preach to them. And what did he do? He ran the opposite way. And I wanna tell you, read the book, God's will will prevail. Like God will bring you there eventually and what you go through to get through there, like it can be different depending on who you are and how dense you are. And there are times where God will raise someone else to fulfill something that we walked away from. But I wanna tell you, I wanna bring you to the recognition. He has good things that he planned for us to do long ago. And some of us have been hitting decline on the calendar invitation that God has been sending over and over and over. We've been missing opportunities. And, and this is so incredibly important. And I wanna make sure we get to the micro level of this because there's times where it feels like, okay, I feel like God is telling me to change a little bit of the way that I speak. He's telling me to change what I watch. He's telling me to change what I'm listening to. He's telling me to change an addiction, to change a relationship. But it feels like responding to that kind of push from God is so insignificant. Why would it change anything of the big picture of how I'm living my life before God? It's too small of a thing to really matter. It just must be my own imagination. I want to assure you that when God begins to work in your life, he walks you through small steps. And there is a significance to, to understanding, I heard the voice of God pushing on me about taking this step. There is significance to hearing that, recognizing that you heard it, and taking that small step. And those who are found faithful in the little things will be entrusted with the greater things. And as you progressively learn to listen to the voice and the leading of God, 
through small thing after small thing, you will begin to see him do big things like they're little things. And you won't even recognize that to other people, the kind of faith that you're living out looks extreme and looks crazy, but looks beautiful. But it comes from beginning to say yes in the little things. Because God has had a plan for your life before you ever took a breath out of your mouth. Before you lived a day, before you spoke a word, God had a plan for your life. God has gifts that he's placed inside of you to make a difference in other people's lives. Whether it's Jonah, Moses, Peter, all of the great characters of scripture, they struggled. Moses said, I'm not good enough. I have a speech impediment. I I I can't do this. And God used him mightily even through a struggle to get there. Peter struggled and denied Christ. And Jesus continued to say, feed my sheep. I'm gonna build my church on the faith that I've placed in you. So struggle, it will be part of it, but it should not be the end of your story. Too much of the church here in our city, too too many of the lives of people in our church, too many times in my own life, I have allowed an excuse to act like a wall. And it's time to start calling them by what they really are. Because the thing is, once we've had a wall up, once we've said, this is my limitation and it's been there for so long, there's a point where we don't even recognize that we could get through that. I mean, I'll compare it to neural adaptation. I can't, like, I'm a nerd and I just, I'm comfortable in that fact now. I apologize for using that word, but I don't know what other word to use other than neural adaptation. You recognize what it is, even if you don't recognize the term. Parents, it's like your kids make so much noise that eventually you can't hear them anymore until it goes silent. And then you recognize, okay, that's a problem. Like quiet is the problem, but noise, like you get used to it and you can just tune them out. Um, It's also true like with smells, you can only smell a smell for so long before you don't even recognize it's there anymore. And so like the person who's wearing way too much aftershave that's next to you and you're like, how could they do this to everyone around them? Well, they can't even smell anymore. Teenage boys, right? They don't even know that they smell yet. Like you're at, is deodorant a thing? Well, they, they don't know because they've smelled themselves for so long, they can't even smell it. The brain has this way of tuning out a re- reception that, that is just present for too long. And it has a way to tune it out. And, and the limitations that we've placed around ourselves, we've had them so, for so long that we've believed the lie so deeply that we just don't think there's a way through it. Until something begins to shift the way that we think, until the word of God renews our mind and renews our perspective and we see it through the lens of scripture. You have a calling that only you can live out. If you're a parent, you know this is true. No one else gets to be a parent to your kids. God has positioned you around coworkers, around people in school, around the siblings and your family, the person that you're married to. He has a purpose for where he has placed you. And he has a calling that he asks you to fulfill. And so if we have these limitations and and they're hard to recognize, well, how how do we begin to recognize them and how do we begin to battle against them? And and I'm going to give you five steps for my note takers. And and there's a truth to this that some some of us, you know, we're at the point where like, okay, I want to make some change and and I want to grow and I want to identify these. And some of us aren't ready. Like I, I can lead a donkey to water, but... I can't make it drink. It can still act like a donkey, all right? 
If there's been limitations you've been placing on your faith and your service to God and the way that you live your life, you can be here and you can choose to not act. But if you want to begin to address these things that are happening, here's, here's some very practical ways. Step number one is simple. And, and with many things that are addictions or problems in your life, it's the same truth. Step number one, identify them. Because when you begin to identify it for what it is, you can begin to deal with it. If someone asks you, hey, you know, could, could you help with this? Could you do this? Like, I, I, see, I, I think you would be great at this. Have you ever thought about doing this? And you immediately say, no, I can't do that because, because is a great warning sign. It's a great alarm bell to say, wait a minute, and am I making an excuse? Because because is normally an indicator of it. And so when you hear yourself making an excuse of why you always act that way or why you respond that way or why you can't enter into this thing that you know that God would want you to do, when you hear the excuse happen, you need to identify it. And step number two, you need to, re- you need to interrogate it. You need to interrogate it because this is an important thing. We might say, well, I, I can't do that be- because I would just mess it up. Well, if I'm interrogating my excuse, I'm asking, okay, why do I think that I would mess it up? Well, because I've, I, I haven't been able to ever do anything like that. Okay, so is there fear? Is there fear of failure? Is there fear that God won't show up? Is there fear that, you know, God's spirit isn't gonna lead you through that? Like, what, what, is, the, what is the root behind that excuse? What's under it? And, and this is some important exploration to what's been going on in your mind because you have probably just adopted other people's negative views of you into your life and you've held them closer to your heart than you've held the truth of the word of God. And when you begin to expose that and say, I have been limiting what I do with my life and my faith because of things that are untrue and unbiblical, it allows you to step three, relabel them. When when you understand, I don't do that just because I think I would mess it up. I do that because I've been afraid to do it. And this is a heart challenging thing. When you begin to weigh into this and you relabel these things, you begin to recognize, man, some change might need to occur. And then step number four is probably, I'd say the hardest one because it's kind of fun to identify them. It's even fun to say, okay, this is why I'm that way. And it's good to say, this is what's really going on. But number four, to define the cost, this is the tough point psychologically. To, to deal with things in your spiritual life and your faith and your family and your, your relationships that God has given you, when you begin to define the cost and say, well, you know, God gave me this one body and I know I'm supposed to take care of it, but I have all these excuses about why I don't eat healthy and why I don't exercise. But if I begin to define the cost and say, if I don't eat healthy and I don't exercise, eventually there's gonna be some tolls. I'm not gonna be able to do the things that I wanna do. I'm not gonna be able to wear the clothes that I wanna wear. I'm gonna have to buy a new wardrobe. I'm gonna have to probably eventually get some sort of surgeries and some medicines to try to balance things out. And eventually I'm gonna have to pay somebody to take care of my body that I didn't take care of. And we understand when we begin to define the costs, if I keep living this way, it creates that separation of saying, I know I don't wanna go down that road and so I have to take action. And that's true physically, that's true in your relationships. I know that if I continue to speak to my spouse like this, they're they're gonna continue to get further and further away from me relationally until they walk out the door. If I continue to ignore my children the way that I have, but man, work is important and the social media notifications annoy me if I don't check them off and there's so many entertaining things on Netflix. 
But if you continue to not engage with your children, what are the costs? Well, eventually they're going to learn they don't need you. And when you want them around, they're not going to be around. And it's hard to define the cost because it creates an understanding of the urgency of change, which is why it's so powerful to do it. If you find yourself using an excuse to avoid doing something you know you should do in this season of your life, and then you interrogate it, you relabel it, and you define the cost, and then the fifth step, which is also hard, but it is so biblical, tell someone. Confess your sins one to another that you may experience healing. When you talk to someone else, it creates accountability. Band, if you guys make your way up, I'm gonna close this thing out. Bringing someone else into a situation isn't a sign of failure, it is a sign of victory. It's not that you are the only person who's ever struggled, but you are being someone who understands the power of the church. Time after time, we're told to carry each other's burdens. Time after time, we're told to spur one another on towards acts of love and good deeds. Do you guys know what it means to spur something? It's a nice way to say stabbing something with your foot, all right? Sometimes we need people who will propel us forward. And if we don't ever allow anyone to know what's going on, then we're not really living within the description of how the church is supposed to operate. We're not believing the truth that healing accompanies confession. And we're also avoiding accountability. But I wanna tell you, I've experienced this, I know this in my own life and I've seen it in other people's. When you bring something into the light, it lightens the load. And if you feel worn out from carrying whatever has been happening in your life, the answer isn't to try to fix it by yourself. The answer is to lighten the load by allowing someone else to come alongside you and hold you up, to come alongside you and ask you questions. Because I, I do not make light of whatever the challenge is that you're facing right now. I know that there are people who are fighting addiction. I know there are people who are fighting for their marriages. I know there are people who are fighting for relationships that are so significant to them. But the view of that problem, it has been that I just, I can't, I can't do it. It's a brick wall. The words of scripture, the promises of scripture, are that the power of God, that he is able to make grace abound to you that you need in the situation to defeat whatever temptation it is that has been drawing on you. And I, through this series, I, I've tried to encourage you just time and time again. From a distance, the wall looks like you could never get through it. But as you get close and you just take that small step towards it of following God's leading, you'll find the truth. That what I thought was a limitation is just another part of my testimony. What I thought I could never get through is part of the masterpiece that God is painting. And you can either stand at a distance and say, there's nothing that I can do, or you can move right through it. And so church, the challenge today is, is pretty simple. There's some basic steps that I believe fall in line with it, but all of those steps are built on this principle that God looks at you with love and he says, you're my masterpiece. You're created anew in Christ Jesus because you got work to do. I have good things that are planned for you that have been planned since long ago. 
And so there's nothing that can, that can limit. There's no wall that can stop. There's nothing that can thwart the will of God in your life except for the moment where we choose to reject and say no. And all of these powerful promises that we have, they, they get started at that point that I hope that you've crossed, where you recognize, where you believe in your heart, where you make the decision for yourself, not a decision that anyone else could ever make for you, but you choose. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross and paid for my sins, that you rose from the grave to give me new life. And when you enter into that relationship with you, with him, he says of you, you are my masterpiece. You are created anew and you have work to do in this world. Don't let anything wall you away from that calling because God has great things ahead. Let's pray together, church. Father, we are thankful that we get to live this life within a church, that we have people who will hold us up through difficulty, who will encourage us and walk with us through whatever we face. And we are thankful for the grace that we find in the name of Jesus. We are thankful that you love us so much that you would call us a masterpiece. So Father, give us the boldness and the courage to worship you in a way that, that brings you honor and glory, that the way that we live our life at home, the way that we live our life in our work setting, in our school, help us in all of these moments to say yes to the calling that you give us. Help us to join with creation as we sing and worship and bring honor to you in Jesus' name.